How you doing? You know I can see you. Right, just, just, just want to let you know so you can, you can smile. <laughs> but uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Friday night was, uh, was awesome, and I appreciate everybody that uh, participated in that, made it possible. It was just a, just a lot of fun. And um, uh, the cocoa was a, was a big hit. I saw all the kids lined up, you know, uh, not just one package, but two packages. <laughs> so that some of the little guys were pretty wired up. So it was great. So uh, this morning, we're going to continue with our, our Advent series. Uh, this morning, thematically, is uh, love. Uh, and our text this morning is out of Malachi uh, chapter 3. So let's pray. Do a little bit of introduction tied into last week and this week, and uh, then we'll uh, use an acrostic, uh, uh, simple, S-I-M-P-L-E, uh, to work through the text and uh, see what the prophet Malachi uh, would have to say to us uh, this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for gathering us together uh, to worship you. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, we belong to you, uh, but Lord, we, we belong to each other. Uh, and so as we fellowship either here or, or online, uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would nurture our hearts in Christ and in the love and fellowship we share uh, as your people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So last week, we looked at uh, the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, this week, we're looking at Malachi. Um, Jeremiah approaches um, the scene, or what's happening with the children of Israel, uh, from the vantage point of um, they have gone into uh, captivity. Uh, they've gone, been taken away by the Babylonians in about 586 B.C. And uh, they're in Babylon, and Jeremiah uh, speaks a, a word from the, the Lord to them. And when they're in captivity, um, their, their hearts are uh, broken. Uh, their hearts are in a, in a place of, can we trust God? Um, are his promise is true. Can we, uh, can we live our life uh, for God? And the prophet Jeremiah comes alongside them and speaks really tender words to them. And we looked at that briefly uh, out of Jeremiah chapter 29 uh, last week. And, um, you know, if you have your Bibles, take a look at that with me. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years I completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill to you my what? My promise. And bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. For I know, and this is a verse that we, we all love so dearly, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then the prophet tells him about the everlasting love of the Lord and the new covenant in chapters 31. In 33, when we look at life, Jeremiah uh, 29 gives us a good template uh, to live life from, because life, as uh, 
as we all know, has its ups and downs. And the children of Israel were experiencing a time where they just were like, can we trust God? Is he, is he faithful to us? And what Jeremiah tells them is, yes, you can trust God. He's got a plan, and he's going to work out his plan in your life to give you a future and to give you a hope. But Jeremiah also says to the children of Israel, would you seek the Lord? Would you seek him with all your heart? Because if you seek him, he's going to reveal himself to you, and he is going to bless your life with a future plan that is good. And that's one thing to remember as we go through life, is that the Lord, things will change, things will be up and down, but that promise remains that if we'll seek him, he's going to reveal himself to us, and he's going to bring us into the plan and the place that he has for us. Now turn with me to Malachi, if you would. Malachi approaches the uh, children of Israel from, from a different perspective. Malachi speaks to the children of Israel that they have returned from captivity, and under the leadership of uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, they came back from captivity. So the pro God was good to his what? Good to his promise. And the children of Israel, they came back and they built their homes. Matter of fact, they spent a little bit too much time on their homes and got a little correction, like what about the Lord's temple? You know, how about like putting some effort towards the Lord? And uh, they did. And they rebuilt the temple, and there's a question on whether the wall was fully completed during Malachi's time. But there's no question about the children of Israel and the state of their heart. Their heart was broken, not by the lack of God fulfilling their promise, but the fact is that their expectations for what, God, what they wanted God to do were unfulfilled. And so they looked at their home, and they looked at their home, and they said, well, it's not quite like it used to be. And they looked at the temple, and they said, you know, it's not as majestic as the temple that we left. And they looked at their provisions, and they said, you know, we just, we just don't know if we can trust the Lord. And I don't know about you, but um, when I have gone through some of um, the difficulties that life has brought my way, um, it was hard. I have to say that there were times where I said, Lord, can I, can I trust you? Or, or more specifically, uh, Lord, uh, will, will I live for you? Will I, will I surrender my life to you and trust you? And, and know that you love me, and go back to Jeremiah, what, 29, verse 11, and, and claim that baby, you know, like, Lord, I know you're good, and I know you've got good plans for me, so help me, Lord, to trust you. And so whether it's at the front end of captivity, or whether it's coming back, or whether it's in 2023, all of our hearts, when we become untethered, from remembering God's goodness and God's promises and God's faithfulness, 
our heart tends to wander away from the Lord. And so Malachi chapter 3 gives a simple solution to that. And that's the acrostic that we'll look at and use, that when, when you're doubting, when you're in that place in life where, man, this is not what I signed up for, or, you know, you're, you're looking at, at the home God's provided you and say, well, this isn't the way my parents' home looked like. My, I wish I was back home. Uh, if that has uh, been lurking in your heart, uh, that's what the prophet is getting at, is where you trust the Lord, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he has a plan for your life, knowing that you can put your trust and your hope in him. And so Malachi chapter 3 is a simple solution. That's the acrostic. It's a simple message that the prophet has. And and the message is this, that, that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And so when we look at verses 1 and 5, how does God show us that he loves us. Take a look at, at Malachi chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple. And the messenger of the, what does it say there? The message of the covenant, which is another way of saying the messenger of the promises. And Malachi means messenger of Jehovah. And what he calls to our attention is this, is this one thing to begin with. He calls our attention to the sovereignty of God. And when you think of the covenants, all of God's promises, his promise to Eve, his promise to Abraham, his promise to Moses, his promise to David, his promise through the prophet Jeremiah and Malachi, what the, what the heart of God is is that he is sovereignly working his plan to offer redemption to mankind. And we know that from Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah points to that that covenant that was going to come to the children of Israel, and that's called the what covenant? It's called the new covenant. And so God is sovereignly working his plan of redemption. Come back to the text with me. You'll see it even more clearly. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. What we see from the text is the sovereign work of God in sending, when we look at the New Testament, who is the messenger of the New Testament that we find in the New Testament that prepared the way for the Lord? John the Baptist. And so out of God's sovereign plan, he sends John the Baptist. And who is the Lord referred to in the text here? Sending Jesus Christ, who will be our righteousness. And so 
One of the texts that uh, I really like the most about talking about the sovereignty of God is Romans 16, 27. After writing this great treatise of uh, depravity of man in the first chapter, and then he says uh, uh, that Abraham was justified by faith, and he talks about coming to a personal faith in Jesus Christ and trusting them. Paul ends up the book of Romans by saying this, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. The word here for wise is sapas, and what it means is the only wise God is that he knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows every part of the past, present, and future, and how they interact with each other. And he's so powerful that he knows past, present, and future, so wise that he brings about the fulfillment of his plans, and in this case, the plan of redemption. How do we apply this to our life? No matter what's going on in your life, God remains what? Sovereignly in control, He's faithful, and we can cling to that truth about his sovereignty. The children of Israel needed to know that even though they were in captivity or out of captivity, that God was still working his plan of redemption, and there was still hope for the children of Israel. The second thing, working through this acrostic, that we can see is in verse 6. For I, the Lord... Do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Now, theologically, there's a 10-cent word here. Immutability simply means this, that God doesn't change. Matter of fact, in I think it's Hebrews 13. I always get confused whether it's verse 6 or verse 8. Hebrews 13, somebody can check that for me, 6 or 8. It says that Jesus Christ is the same, say it with me, yesterday, today, and forever. And what verse is it? Six. Hebrews 13, six. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you say, hey, I thought you are the pastor. You're not supposed to forget those things. Well, that's why they make electronic devices nowadays, because you just punch it in and boom, it comes. But Jesus Christ never changes the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same Jesus that you read in the scriptures, remember the woman at the well? And Jesus has a conversation with her. And she says, you know, where can I seek that living water? And Jesus speaks into her heart. And then she runs to the village and tells the whole village everything that Jesus said about her past and present and future. The same Jesus that healed the lepers. The same Jesus went, you remember that other woman that was caught in adultery and they all wanted to stone her and Jesus says, oh, no, that's, that's not the heart of God. That same Jesus that when Nicodemus came at night and said, you know, I have some doubts and questions. That same Jesus is the Jesus that wants to touch your heart today. Same Jesus that wants to come close to you. Same Jesus that wants to bring healing to you. Same Jesus that wants to bring hope 
in, into your heart. Why? Because he never changes. And because he never changes, he's faithful to his covenants. Now, Warren Wiersbe, I wish I was as smart as him, but Warren Wiersbe writes this. Moses used this truth of immutability about God when he is interceded for the nation in Exodus 33 and Numbers 14. And Wiersbe says the same principle applies today, and he reminds us of 1 John 1, 9, that if we'll confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins, and not only that, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You never know who wanders into a church, you know? You never know who's in our midst. But more often than not, there's someone that comes into our midst that says, you know, I wonder about this. I, I wonder if God can be trusted. I wonder, I wonder if he would forgive this sin. You can put your sin in there, you know, so you make it personal. I, I wonder if God is gracious enough and forgiving enough to forgive my sin. The truth of that is yes, he is, and the reason for that is that he never changes. And if you seek him and pray to him, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? He will reveal himself to you. Next thing that we can see in the text is that all these great promises that the Lord gives us, God's love, is demonstrated in keeping his promise. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore... You are not consumed. The Lord is faithful to his promises in that in verse 7, uh, he'll return if you'll return to him. And so what we have thematically between Jeremiah and Malachi, and I would say Isaiah and the rest of the prophets, is thematically you have a consistent message from the prophets. You've sinned. God corrects. God invites back. God restores, and God gives a promise that is both present and future tense. And that is his heart for us. If, that, if, we've, if we've gone astray, he invites us, he woos us back. When we come back, he cleanses us, and then he gives us a promise, present tense, and also future tense. Forgives our sins presently and gives us a promise of eternal life with him. So what is it? S I. I never did very well in spelling in grammar school. Went to a Catholic school. Everything was memorization, and, and, and I was kind of an antsy kid, so I didn't memorize very much. The, the, only, the only gracious part of grammar school for me, two things, is one, spelling bee, I got to sit down really early and, and, and let my eyes wander out the window and see, see the, look at the squirrels and all that stuff. And the, and the second thing is that the nuns were very gracious. They gave C's liberally. And I'd come home with a C, and my parents would slay the fatted calf. Well, they, they didn't do that in Medford, but they'd take you out for Chinese food. And so S, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. S-I-M, oh, yeah, M, yeah, money. Uh, look at verse 6, if you would or, uh, drop down a little bit farther in verse 9 uh, or verse 10. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. What's that about? Well, the people's crops were failing. Their livelihood, their children were hungry. And so they held back out of what? Fear. And what question was in their heart? If I give, can I trust God to provide? You might have the same questions, you know? I, I know I have, you know? If I give, can I trust? Will you provide? And the prophet says to them, hey, look, God is sovereign. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. He loves you, and he's going to provide for you. Where the children of Israel sat is they only could see what they didn't have. They couldn't see what God had already given them. I was listening to a, a podcast, and the, the guy was presenting some economic data on comparing different states with one another. And the guy went through the stats on Massachusetts. Can anybody tell me? There was someone at first service. He was pretending he was an economic whiz. Uh, you know, Toby, you know. <laughs> Can anybody answer this question? Where does Massachusetts stand in the rankings of states as far as wealth and prosperity? Three, that's... You think so? Yeah, how about someone else? You say two, anybody else? Number five. Number five, good, thank you. <laughs> It's number one in the nation. In the nation, number one. And yet many of us <laughs> live in Massachusetts, and I would have never, like, I would never had, in, in my wildest imagination, never have guessed that Massachusetts was number one as far as wealth and economic prosperity in the nation. And why is that? And I'm speaking, I'm not projecting this on you. Why is that? Because I only see what I, I don't have. I, I don't see what I do have. All as I see is the same as you. You get the real estate tax bill and you got to go, you got to be kidding. <laughs> that's, why, that's why some of you guys have flown the coop to New Hampshire. And the children of Israel were that way. In Bedford, where my daughter lives, they did this amazing thing. They had uh, a lot of immigrants come in to the community. And so what they did is they took the Bedford Hotel, which was kind of a, excuse me if you live in Bedford, it's kind of a sleazebag place. And, and they totally renovated it. 
And then the community, and this is noble, the community got together and collected baby carriages and baby clothes and gift certificates, and they set all these people up. Do you think they look at what they don't have? Or do you think they look at what they do have? They look at what they have been given. And now many of them have found employment. You can drive through Bedford, you see them waiting for the tea. Uh, no one in Bedford rides the tea, by the way. Because they, they don't have to. The children of Israel were in a place where they, where they uh, built their homes first and the temple got added on later. They didn't want to give like 10% to the Lord because why? Because they didn't realize God was sovereign and they didn't realize that he never changes or goes back on his word and they didn't have their heart impacted by how good and generous the Lord is. I want to be a generous person. I think all of us think we're generous. But I think the real transformation work comes in our hearts when we realize just how wealthy Massachusetts is. Sorry, New Hampshire but how much the Lord has given us. That frees us to be gracious. A couple other things. We've looked at sovereignty, immutability, money, promises. Yeah, the, the Lord loves you. In verse 10, in verse 7, in verse 10, in verse 16, in verse 17, the Lord loves you. And one last one. Expectations. God's love is demonstrated in that he exceeds our human expectations in his blessings. In verse 10, he says he'll pour them down. His total acceptance of us in the reference to the scroll of remembrance. And then in this verse 18, the future reward. But in closing out our talk this morning, come with me to verse 16. It says, for those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Speaking of the Lord's loving kindness and his love for his people, verse 17. They shall be what? They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. That's how the Lord views us. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For the sake of the acrostic, I put expectations, but let me try to bring this home a little clearly. Some of you might ask, like, like why go to church? Have you ever thought that? If you, no one's ever thought that? I thought that this morning, no. 
point of transformation in the text is when we see in verse 16, then those who feared the Lord got together. And when life is like up and down and crazy, why go to church? Because as we come together, as we remember, as we gather together, we encourage each other to stay faithful to the Lord. And what's the outcome in the text? The Lord hears them and comes and gives them another promise. The Lord says to them, you're my people. And he takes out a book of remembrance and he writes their names in it. And so we all know we belong to God, right? But the message of that text is that we belong to one another. And when we put it in the context of the children of Israel, they needed each other. They needed to encourage each other as often as of the daytime to stay faithful to the Lord. Now, I love Christmas, you know that. I like Hallmark movies, by the way, they're rated G. Just want to put that out there. And I love fireplaces. And these Hallmark movies, they last a long time. Some of them last way too long. And I like the fireplace because you put a build a fireplace, build build a fire, and uh, and the movies still got an hour to go, and the fireplace is dim. And so what I do is I I gather all the coals together. You know where I'm going with this. Gather all the coals together. And what happens when you do that in a fireplace? Well, there's always chunks of wood and and that that haven't been burned. And what happens is you get this. You get this little glow, and then you get poof, and you got another half an hour, and by that time, the movie's over, and usually I'm asleep, but that's what happens when we get together as God's people. So we encourage each other. We help each other, um, and you have to admit, God's got a sense of humor for the different types of people he brings together in an assembly of people. I mean, it's really, I mean... Some of you can't get over I'm a pastor, and you still can't, so <laughs> it is kind of amazing. It is kind of amazing, yeah. So the message of the prophets is this. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. Keep the faith, and keep the faith together with other followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? We get to close our service today um, by celebrating the Lord's table. And Ben's going to come and provide a moment of reflection for us. If you're new with us and you didn't get a communion setting, uh, that good-looking guy there, Alex, would be glad to give you a communion setting. But let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning.